Welcome to the Journey of Integral Recovery Podcast, the podcast that follows three integral recovery practitioners on the journey of waking up, growing up, cleaning up, and showing up. Join us and our trailblazing guests as we apply the principles of integral recovery, daily practice, and the aqua map to transcend limitations, accelerate growth, and heal ourselves and hopefully the world. And now here are John Dupuy, Dr. Bob Weathers, and I'm Doug Prater with the Journey of Integral Recovery Podcast, Episode 43. Revealing the hidden gifts in our addiction, suffering, and pain. Well, welcome back, everyone. Uh, it's great to be here again. And this is episode, we said 44, 44. That's amazing. Uh, 44 of the Journey of Integral Recovery. And as you guys who have uh, listened before, you might know I'm John Dupuy. This is Dr. Bob Weathers. And uh the guy, other guy who's not Dr. Bob Weathers, who's not talking, is Douglas Prater. And we're we're back. And um, not only did we talk about recovery, uh, it's come clear to me that in this podcast, we recover. You know, we're actually, we're actually, this is recovering. This is helping all of us as we, we hang out with you guys and we, we go through this material and we go through our pain and our triumphs and our, of what we've learned and, and, and connect with these amazing people that uh, this has allowed us to connect with. So, Anyway, um, uh, Bob, you had an idea that where we could start off today. And yeah, yeah thank you. Thanks, John, for introducing us. I'll, I'll tell a, a quick backstory to kind of lead into it. I, uh, I recently led a, a, a staff in-service at a local treatment center where I'm working with probably 20 clinical staff. Most of them are doctoral-level staff, so they have a lot of background uh, in psychology and counseling and specifically working in addiction recovery. And I got a phone call this last week from one of the attendees at that. It's the first time that I had met uh, this woman. She's uh, uh, a postdoctoral fellow there. And uh, she said she wanted to get together for tea. She says she felt like there's something that I could give her in terms of, she used the word wisdom. So we got together this week and we sat together and she said uh, she wanted to know more about my story. I must have referenced it, but I think it was... I think it's kind of like what you were saying earlier, Doug. I think it was less about what I said than something about the way I said it that drew her attention. And, and the upshot of it was this, is, she, is that, and we kind of co-evolved this together. She went through a horrendous experience uh, in the last few years that's not related directly to addiction at all, but she recognized herself in me. And that which she recognized feels like to me is the pearl of great price in the heart of addiction or in the heart of maybe conscious suffering. And so what we talked about, and uh, with tears flowing, because it it's so powerful to have that resonant uh, in any conversation, is that when you reach a point where your life is reduced to a nub, let's say, and then something comes along and even erases that nub, what's left? And what's left for most of us, as, we, as she and I discussed, is a contraction back into, let me build up that nub in a hurry, you know? But there's the possibility of reformulation. There's the possibility of an alternate way of being. And even though her experience was not an addiction, mine is, we were both, in, uh, though not naming it this way, we were both talking about in recovery, what's recovered? What's recovered? And uh, in this context, uh, what's recovered is a radically new identity. And, and what she shared with me is that coming back from this experience, it's as if she can look at herself pre this experience and post this experience. And I related to her, and she already had a sense of this. It's very much the same for me. I can look at Bob Weathers as pre-addiction. Um, 
and specifically the cusp of entering into recovery with 3% commitment, because I didn't begin with 51% commitment. But something, something began to take. I can look at myself, and that cusp is very, this is years down the road now, that cusp is very clear to me, and I feel like in some ways I'm unrecognizable my, to myself. There's, of course, always continuity, but it's like that's a watershed moment for me where there's pre-Renaissance Bob and post-Renaissance Bob. And that's what she and I were relating to. It was very powerful, very powerful experience for me. And then finally, yesterday, when I led a group here at the local treatment center, uh, this, in, this, in this case of, of uh, 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 individuals who are in early recovery, I posed this to them. I said, have any of you had this experience that when you're in the very worst of times, and I wasn't talking about recovery, I was talking about addiction, when you're in the very worst of times, you've really hit bottom, that there's some part of you that realizes that, well, what I shared with them is that for me, when I went into the hospital at the very worst of times for me, there was a sense for me that I would one day be nostalgic for the purity of that moment. There was something about the radical clearing out that I intuited that I would, that was exactly the thought that came to my mind. There'll be a day, Bob, where you'll actually be nostalgic for what it would have only ever looked before as abhorrent. I'm in this situation. I'm drooling on myself. I'm with patients drooling on themselves. This is the worst of the worst. And there'll come a day where I'm nostalgic for this. And the nostalgia, as I understand it, would be for this opportunity, the absolute kind of purging of all that came before. Well, I posed this to the, 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 the clients yesterday, you guys, and what was amazing is that I wasn't alone. I wasn't sure that there would be others that would resonate because it's not a universal at all. But there were any number of people that went, oh, yeah. Not to say that you grab the bull by the horns uh, or that they have, but they all recognize that. I mean, the majority of them recognize there comes a point where you're at that fork and you realize, I can really change my life now. And so it's that topic I wanted to bring today, kind of under the, uh, I guess, under the umbrella or under the rubric of the gift of addiction, um, without being cute or Pollyanna-ish about it. And I, there might be other ways to language it, but it, John, it would be the gift of profound suffering, whether it's the death of a brother or profound depression. I certainly know profound depression. Doug, you probably do too. Doug and I know profound addiction. Something about the pearl buried in all of that that could lead to radical transformation, and which has for me, which has for me. So that's what I open up to you all, just to reflect on together. Yeah, it's and, and you you kind of get to the end of your bullshit, and there's kind of relief. <sighs> okay, there's no more faking it. You know, <laughs> it's so clear to to me and the whole universe how fucked up I am. And there's there's just okay, that is really real, you know. And and of course, addiction's all about self deception. You get to the point where that goes away in that moment. This is real as it gets. You know? So so now everything shifts. I get to I can do something different. You know, there's nothing else. Bam, just like emptiness of pure, no bullshit, no lies, no deception, just there. And what you get then, I think that both of you have hit the nail on the head with this. What you get in that circumstance is a blank slate, a clean page. You know, Bob, you spoke of it as a radical clearing out 
of everything that came before. And we go through so much of our lives, our, our childhood especially, we learn things from other people. Our identities are so much dictated by others. We don't have any control over the things that happen to us and the beliefs we adopt. And as we mature, maybe we start to realize that we can have some control over some of these things, but lack the clean slate to really start over and implement any of these changes with any kind of drive. When it's all gone, when there's nothing left, when the suffering cannot get any worse, when we're there's at the no, rock... I'm sorry, Doug, go ahead. When we're at that rock bottom of our addiction, we have the choice for many of us for the first time ever to consciously redesign our lives to decide who we're going to be. Now, you can't eliminate a lot of those fourth quadrant circumstances, for example, that are going to surround your life, financial problems, legal problems, those kind of things. But in the upper left-hand quadrant, in our psychology, in our conception of ourselves, we get to decide when we're at that moment for the first time. It's beautifully said, Doug. There's no false self to defend anymore. You know, a guy comes up, John, you're the most fucked up person in the world. And tell me about it. You know, I was like, there's no, I don't have to defend that. It's like, yeah, thank you. You're really seeing how I see it. <laughs> you know, it's like, no, yeah, I, I am. I am. I just, or, or, you know, or maybe you know, there are people that are equally fucked up, but I don't know if there's anybody more fucked up. You know, just that kind of realization, there's a certain freedom to, oh, you know, this false thing, trying to hide it from myself, from others, from this and that, lying deception. It's like, no, it's no, it's just what is. And uh, it makes me think of something, John, as I'm listening to you. You know, uh, back when I studied biblical theology back in seminary, there was this idea of the kingdom of heaven uh, is already, but not yet. It is already, but not yet. That kind of double nature of, uh, enlightenment, whatever we want to use as, a, as, a, as a, a kind of grounding point, is that even when I was in the hospital and had this radical experience, I was in this manic state and I was journaling this stuff. It was so bad that I threw away the journal afterwards because it was like, oh, so much a function of early recovery for me. But I never forgot the intuitions that were uh, attempting to communicate on the journal is that with that kind of pure clearing out, what both of you are talking about, that radical humbling, that radical leveling, that radical cutting through the false self, all of that was my living experience. And that's what I felt like one day I'll be nostalgic for this. And in fact, I grew to be. So, but it was already there. The awareness was already there. I loved how you described it, Doug. It's just like, it's a profound opportunity. Kierkegaard, the philosopher, put it this way. He says that when, you, when you're in that space, you experience vertigo. He talked about going into the abyss where you're just into nothingness and what you experience is vertigo. And there is a sense of like, holy cow, I can begin to paint a whole new existence. So there was that. It was given in that moment. But the other piece of it, and it only occurred to me uh, as we were talking, is there was, a, there was a, a not yet quality to it, and there still is a not yet quality to it. But what I want to say, that's a little over five years ago, this event that I'm telling you about, and that the awareness that followed it, is that, you know, John, I've known you for almost all of this time, and Doug, we're growing on time here for sure, is that where I was, John, four years ago when I met you, um, as to where I am right now, I am out with my story. And there's no way I could have done that. And so the leveling or the humbling, 
uh, it was radical in that moment. And then, and then I, I really contracted into, I can't ever let anybody know my professional circles, my personal world or whatever. I can't let them know that. And so it's taken this long trek back into this uh, gradual process of where I'm about 90% out of the woods on this. I can still be shamed. I can still contract into that. But I'm 90% free of it enough so now that I'm amazed by how often I don't contract into shame when somebody would pull that. I just, I go, that's your shit. This is my story. I'll tell you an example of it. Right now, what's up in the national and international news are all the fuck-ups by major uh, men. Uh, Harvey Weinstein, Bill Cosby, the list you know, goes on. The latest is Louis C.K., who I hardly know, but I just, I feel, how can anybody who's fucked up as bad as I have not feel radical empathy, not only for them, but for those that they violated? I mean, it's just, that story feels like my story. Um, and what, where, where was I going to go with that? Oh, when I read this stuff, because I read it and I take it in and try to find some prayerful way to hold it, is that that's really provocative of shame for me. And the only thing that I can find my way through that is know my heart know my intention, know my truth, and it's deeper than that. So I see them reacting by saying, I didn't do that, or hiring a bevy of attorneys who are going to say, are going to quibble over what the word it means, or, or is, or whatever like that. And then occasionally you get one of them that just says, I did that. I did that. That's, it is as you say. That's the beginning of it right there. It doesn't excuse the behavior, but at least you have the beginning as uh, – as Carlos said in our last interview, at least you start with an acknowledgement of the truth, and then you can move towards restoration. You can't restore shit if you don't yeah, start the, with that. And that just got exposed for exposing himself to women after his concerts or whatever. Yeah, wrote yeah. the best letter that I've heard in this whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and da da you know. And then he went, mm-hmm. and I was, you know, but I, I just, I was using my power, and these women admired me. So I blah blah blah. Just really mm-hmm. said, you know, I just talking and talking and having all this stuff now time for me to shut up and listen for a long time. And it was just like, yeah, I hear you, brother. Yeah. As I talked to Colleen about this last night, my wife, is that you've got to start with that. You've got to, you've got to be willing to uh, uh, clean up your act. You've got to be willing to clean up your act. And it starts by, by being honest with yourself and then to grow up, whatever it was that wasn't grown up. And I think that's what I want to say in terms of the not yet it's five years since, and it will be the rest of my life growing up. But it started off with that initial, uh, uh, that initial awareness is that this is, this is what I want. This is where I want to be. And now it's been the healing of the shame that would keep me from genuine contrition. You know, shame doesn't make me apologize. Shame moves me away from, from asking for forgiveness, it moves me away from compassion. And so to be able to hold the pain of our lives, the wreckage of our past, and then, and to hold that without shame allows me to move towards you and extend my hand humbly to you asking for your forgiveness. I can't do that in shame. And that's been the last five years for me. I think it's really important, Bob, that it's not expecting what we have done in the past to go away or mm-hmm. in any way excusing those kind of behaviors. But mm-hmm. we get to this point that you're talking about where mm-hmm. we start to see those actions as the past and the restorative nature allows us to 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 identify not so much with what we have done, but rather who we are and who we are becoming now, which is a place we can't get to if we continue to to live with those other things that we have done, live in the shame of those moments. Um, it's 
certainly something I've observed in my own life too. As have you? Have you? I yeah. accept these, and I'm certainly not perfect with it. You know, I, I have good good times and bad times on the sine wave of self acceptance there. But when I am at the high point, when I'm in that good place, it is because I am thinking of myself in terms of who I am and who I have become and not the things I've done. And over time, those moments are more and more frequent when I am not ashamed of my past because I am happy with who I have allowed myself to become. Yeah. And as we integrate our path, our past and the, you know, the things that we've done, things that we've done, uh, I don't think they ever go away. Maybe not in this lifetime, or maybe we carry them over as in some Buddhist uh, teachers say, teaching, they say that you carry over the wisdom from one lifetime to another, you know, the good thing, which is a really like good that. thought. But yeah, I, I don't think uh, it ever goes like, just like 90%, you know, and maybe that's as good as it's ever going to get, you know, maybe that 10% is going to keep you in the game with the rest of us yeah. who are imperfect. And, you know, those are, those are kind of our, our touchstones of growth. And we go back there and something we can, yeah, I remember that. And it's still teaching me. It's a teacher now. Instead of a uh, instead of something that's crushing us and taking us out of the game, and realize that God, we're so not you know, alone in that. But it's no longer the controlling subject. It's just a it's just a a, a memory, a lesson, a wisdom, an experience that that we still have access to, and uh, that can keep us. I don't know, just connected to uh, to uh, to everything. You know. I like the way that you say that, John. You remind me uh, recently of. Uh, jazz guitarist for whom I had much reverence over most of his career, Alan Holsworth passed away. And uh, Alan Holsworth uh, uh, brought to electric guitar kind of the sensibility of John Coltrane on saxophone. So he played guitar like a saxophonist. He played this legato style that had huge influence, for example, on Eddie Van Halen. There are a bunch of people that have followed and really attribute Alan Holsworth as the one that kind of laid that down. And first concert I ever went to was in Germany and it was Alan Holsworth. So I had a very early imprinting with this man and I followed him closely. He happened to attract really good drummers over his career. So I stayed very connected to him. But one of the things that Holsworth, he was a British guitarist. One of the things he was, I think, infamous for was he was so humble to the point of being self-effacing. And I always felt kind of embarrassed about that because he was so flipping good and he could hardly stand what he created. He was very self-critical. But one of the pieces that came out in, after his passing in, in interviews and so on was that the further he went in trying to refine what he heard in his mind and wanted to execute in his fingers, the further he went, it's like the more it opened up. It was like the further he went, the more he was aware that he didn't yet um, comprehend or couldn't yet accomplish. And I thought of that, John, when you were talking about this. Maybe the 10% is instructive. And I think I've really had the notion that that would become ever smaller and smaller. But I wonder if the experience won't be more like Alan Holdsworth, where the further I go with that initial intuition those five years ago, the further I go interiorly and relationally, maybe it just becomes more and more kind of um, differentiated and intricate. And maybe it actually feels like Alan Holdsworth. It's like there's more and more that I want to do with it. It's just a different way of thinking of it. And I, I'm going to take that from what you said and, and not be impatient with that 10%. Maybe the 10% needs to be there, just the way that you said it, as well, instructor. You know, you know, I play the blues. You know, Oh, black, black uh, white guys can't play the blues. Oh, yes, we can. 
<laughs> man, I know blues. I know hurt, and I can do that. You know, yeah. And, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, we we take that, and then we 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 turn it to heart. We turn it from passion. We turn it into events. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, one of the things I want to say, holding up the mirror to you, Bob, since I've known you, mm-hmm. like you're like, and and you can you know, I mean, mm-hmm. from my perspective, where I'm sitting, you're like right in the zone, dude. You are just so on fire, so creative, you know, so giving back all the stuff that you've been through now. And when I uh, first met you, it wasn't so. You were just really subdued, and you didn't want to talk very much. And I could kind of draw you out a little bit when we had conversations. But you—it's uh, really been a shift. And how does it feel to be like in that flow now, where you're just giving back to the world on so many levels? Thank you, John. I want to respond twice, and then I want to move to Doug. I <laughs> just kind of in our three musketeer dance here. First of all. Uh, thank you, John. I really receive that. Thank you. And uh, and I feel like that's accurate. I feel like you see me accurately, which feels really good. And I can't help but look at you, my brother. And and you know how deeply I feel this, is that is that, that early meeting four years ago was the beginning of a healing dance between you and me. So you become part of what you see in me, which is the redemption the forgiveness, the acceptance that you and your wife, Pam, and even your dog, Lucy, <laughs> extended to me and continue to extend to me. And so when I met you in Boulder at that uh, fourth turning conference, I was a scared little puppy because I was, I was one year, maybe a little over a year into recovery, very sincere about it. But all of this was a gaping wound for me. And I come to you guys vulnerably wanting to affiliate with you in any way because my heart was so inclined to, towards where you were coming from, but was was well imagined that you might reject me because like you said, Doug, my history is really sorted. It's really, and it's, it's all over the internet. It's like, this is, I'm a disaster. I'm hell on wheels basically. And so that you didn't do that and that you extended not only forgiveness, but continue a healing as you only ever have. You, you, you become one of the really huge pillars that holds me up into this current place of really being on fire. And I'm, I'm really grateful to you for that. Um, Gosh, there was a second piece. Give me just a second. It has to do with, with this current dispensation. Oh, I know what it is. Doug, when you and I connected earlier this morning, I, I told Doug, uh, well, maybe I mentioned to both of you. I don't know who I mentioned it to. I was up at four this morning, and uh, I, I, w- I wake up early, and I write for several hours. It's the only time I can write because I, I'm working full time and then some. And uh, 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 that's what wakes me up, John, is what you're seeing. What wakes me up is this is this is a mission this is a mission for me and so the writing i'm doing right now both the writing i'm doing on a book but also the responding in our online community and so on it's fueled by a desire to spread this it really ties into our earlier podcast about giving to others it's just it i want i want the the addicts in recovery i'm working with i want those that treat them i want all the us our community here at integral recovery I want to give uh, in any way I can because this has absolutely transformed me from a little nub into this uh, this presence, and I have every uh, I have every sense that the zone will continue uh, in in full respect to the <laughs> to the vagaries of existence, and I'm really grateful. I feel that I feel really buoyed by God uh, through this, uh, uh, insofar as that there's nothing that's coming through me that I lay claim to uh, in some kind of personal way, there's no way that that's even, even makes any sense at all to me. So I feel very much like this is, I like the way that Rumi says it. He says, this is, uh, 
that this is a rented house. I don't own the deed. <laughs> you know, this is that's that's what's going on. So anyway, thank you and blessings to you, John, and double blessings to you and Pam, and you, Doug, as well for supporting me because it's 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 only in community and restorative community the way that Carlos was talking about it that this you see would even exist. And so I, I never forget that, you guys. I never forget that. I, you know, I sometimes think about this. Doug, you must relate to this too. Uh, how would I wish what I've been through and what others who've been close to me have been through? How would I wish that on anybody? How would I wish my fate on anybody? Loss of professional stature in every way, loss of income, loss of reputation, just absolutely just rubble. How would I wish that on anybody except that what you see, John, and name would not be possible otherwise. And I feel like that this is what I was ultimately born for. I'm sorry that it took me as fucking long as it did to learn this particular lesson, but I'm so grateful because I really do believe this is why I'm here. And it's, it's, it's a cruel irony of the universe that it takes such depths of suffering for us to reach that place and realize it and get to the the point psychologically where we're able to start making those changes and realize why we were here in the first place. Um, so many people never get that impetus that, you know, there's, there's no other choice but to change when you're at the bottom of an alcoholic funk or, or your addiction or your depression or whatever the case may be. And, you know, people go through, through their life and, and maybe, feel that kind of vague background noise of discontent, but never have the incentive or the opportunity to change it in the way that we do. And so in that way, it is our responsibility to acknowledge the opportunity that we have, that as well as the cost of it and allow that, that pain to never, the memory of that pain to never quite go away so that we can do what we can to how about raising the bottom for others and enabling people to help make those kind of changes and transformations before they reach that depth of suffering. A thought has often come to me, you know, maybe, maybe it's addicts and alcoholics that are going to lead the way for just what you were talking about. Doug. You know, you, you come to this point where you got to make these radical shifts. Not everybody makes it. A lot of people die from this stuff, but enough people do. And with more support, more people will. And you become the leaders, you know, of this evolution thing, because you've had to take responsibility and account and you had to start working your asses off to get back what you'd lost and to get what you never had, which, you know, got you, got you hurting in the first place. And, uh, you know, there's this verse in the Bible where Jesus said the, the, the stone that was rejected becomes the cornerstone of the new building. Maybe maybe that's what's going on with addicts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I want to respond to you, John. Yeah, I want to respond to you, John. That's beautiful. I love your drawing that in. Thank you. Really appreciate the perspective. Um, I, I just saw a client this week who came to see me, and um, my new website includes my story on it. It features my story on it, and it's very risky to put that out there because here I am operating as a recovery coach and a speaker and this and that, and right in the center of that is online. It's unavoidable. If you look at my name online, up come a lot of very ugly things. And so I felt like I must respond to this. So I have. And uh, in the spirit of what you said, John, right now, I continue to be amazed. I was I, uh, completely blown out. This man, when he came to see me, I, he, he said, I read your entire website. I read everything on your website. And he said, he said, including your story. And he says, 
that's why I came to see you. I came to see you because of that. And I've got to tell you that the old self, and I've, I've, got, I've still got 10% of that old self inside of me, you guys. The old self would have said, that's why somebody wouldn't come to see me. And in fact, and, and, and there will be people that won't come to see me because of that. I'm clear about that. But that's not what I'm here. That's not who I'm here to reach out to. And so what's happening, and it's, John, you talked about the zone. It continues to just amaze me is that people are drawn to me for what I would have only ever imagined as being the most loathsome, unattractive, despicable aspects. That story and my relationship to it is what's drawing people to come to me to speak with me. It's just amazing to me. Uh, never ceases to amaze me. There is such a freedom, a real profound spiritual freedom from living in integrity with who you are, with all of who you are. It takes so much work to keep all that shit buried in the background that it just <laughs> eats you. And even if there are people who, for example, don't come to see us or don't accept us mm -hmm. when we are you know, being honest with ourselves, we mm -hmm. still have the opportunity to feel that that freedom from living in tune with, with the truth. And for me, and it sounds like for you, Bob, that's absolutely worth, worth the cost and worth the risk. No question. No question at this point. With all due respect to all that have suffered around me, if I could somehow excise them because I still bear guilt for causing suffering for those that I care the most about, but if I could excise that, I can't, but if I could excise that and just be, you could just locate my own suffering, there's no question. Absolutely worth it. No question. I wouldn't have done this voluntarily. <laughs> but but yeah. you, know, you know what else? And this is really important too, is that there, there is a choice. When you hit that place, you, you make a choice about how you're going to live and you can continue to you know, go in a different direction and, and not allow that transformation to happen or you can lean into it and accept it and choose to evolve and choose to design a life that allows you to be who you are and helpful to others and, and choose the path of evolution instead, but you have to make it. And it's, it's that's the miracle to me. Yeah. That's the miracle to me. We, we talked about this yesterday in our group is, is I said, have any of you known this experience in the depths of your addiction that there's some still small voice that is basically like a Zen master whapping you saying, you've got to get your shit together. And a couple of people answered, and I realized they were answering from the perspective of being in recovery. I said, no, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking in the depths of your addiction, in the depths of our depressions, in the depths of our grief. Is there still something inside? And I says, that is absolutely a miracle to me. And one put, woman put it in Christian terms. Another person put it in atheistic terms. It doesn't matter how you put that. It's like, whatever that is, is it not amazing, you guys, that in the very depths of hopelessness, and in my case, of rank addiction, that there's even there where the brain scientists would say, there's no way that can happen. There's no way that can happen. Because, you know, you're at this point, you're basically being led by your reptilian brain. Then I want to say that there's a God image inside the reptilian brain. <laughs> It will find somewhere where God isn't. Yeah, including in the reptilian brain. That's right. And that is a miracle to me. That feels like utter grace to me. I never forget that. Whatever it is that motivates us in the midst of our addiction or our other kinds of suffering, depression, to turn the ship around, that feels like grace to me. I must cooperate with it. But the idea, so it's not cheap grace, but the idea that that's even there is pure grace to me. Yeah. And biology is such a powerful force. You know, I... 
read a theory just the other day saying that uh, consciousness in, in this great search for consciousness was really just sort of the waste byproduct of the physiological processes of the brain. And there are a lot of people, a lot of scientists out there who, who believe that, that it's really nothing more than, uh, you know, not even a beneficial emergent property, but just kind of a, a waste byproduct. And to me, having experienced that still small voice inside, I don't see that because I don't see the still small voice being nothing more than a waste product when it contradicts things that my biology is telling me. For example, go have a drink, have another drug, do whatever. Listening to that voice says to me that there's something else there. But it's so easy, too, to disconnect from it, to drown it out with all the noise of the other shit. And part of the bottom, part of the clearing out, the, the emptiness is that when there's nothing else left, you can start to hear that voice more and more clearly. I think. Yeah. And I would say that, that practice too, as we, we cultivate that presence and that, that guidance. And to me, it's like uh, meditation gets me ready for prayer. You know, uh, that stills me down mm-hmm. to the place where finally the mind, you know, will be optional, you know, thoughts were optional. I can go back to thinking if I want, but why should I, you know? And then at that place, you can just open your, your, your heart without even saying anything because, you know, I'm, what is not known to God, right? And and that's where we can get uh, get I don't know get healed, get renewed, get uh, get you know our wounds be transmuted into wisdom and compassion, and love, and and we start to understand. Oh, there's there's a you know this wasn't just all random hell. You know, there was a purpose behind. And uh, then I always check in. It's like part of me going, okay, I know all that. You know that, you know that, but you know, I'm still really fucked up, God. You know, still can think you can use me today. Just, yeah, I can use you today. Thank you. Okay, that that means a lot. Thank you. Okay, I know you don't say thank you anymore. (laughs) But anyway, just going down to that place and uh, where where it happens, you know, so we can go back out and find that everywhere and everything. Yesterday, when I led the meditation at the beginning of this group, it's an every Friday group, we do this mindfulness of breath, and then we do mindfulness of the senses, and I take take us through a number of senses, and we finished with this one. Doug, you reminded me of it. We uh, we're sitting in a room, and and we're in a we're in a office situation, so there's ambient noise and voices. We're sitting in a room of 20 people and we're pretty damn quiet together. You know, there's a little fidgeting, but it's pretty quiet. And I, I just say, just notice what you hear right now. And even though you'll hear sounds, see if you can notice the gaps between the sounds, like the rest between two notes, you know? And, and that's the last piece we do. And then we come out and I just ask people, what was your overall experience? And one guy sitting over to my left said, in the solitude, in the quiet, I could, I could actually hear my blood rushing, which I th- I, I've experienced that before. I think it's amazing he did it in, a, in, a, in a, a not completely silent environment. But just what you said, Doug, to be able to notice the subtleties. And John, for you to meditate so that you can pray, to quiet down and then notice, notice that. <laughs> notice that. I will. I will uh, oftentimes write for hours, and I'll put on. I put on different music, but after our conversation, Doug, you'll appreciate this. I've been writing to uh, music for eighteen musicians. Nice. Yeah. 
<laughs> Love it's, it. a, it's, it's, it's a long, uh, long minimalist piece, John, that's orchestrated with 18 musicians, very pulse driven. But what I'll do, Doug, is I'll reduce it down to where it's almost subaudible. It's just scarcely audible. And so it's almost like there's, there's just this little hum in the background. But when I'm in the morning writing there, it's still dark outside and it's really quiet. That hum is what sustains me. And you can walk in that room and not hear the music. You can walk in, not even notice it. I love that threshold right there, but I think maybe it's instructive. And maybe, John, in the spirit of what you said, it's like trying to create a meditative enough field so that what wants to emerge can. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, you start relaxing all those different barriers of you know, fear or self-hatred or unconscious. You know, it starts relaxing. Everything will come up. You know, and uh, the painful, the dark stuff, but that's all part of it, you know, and you can't have, you can't have the light without the darkness. If you, every time you try to do it, it turns into more darkness. You know, that's the paradox. You got to, you got to take it, accept it all. And you also have to accept the joy. And that's really scary for some people to, I don't deserve this. This is weird. This is not familiar. Blah, blah, blah. Just as much as it is people run from pain, people can actually authentic joy. You know, earlier today, John, when you gave me such deep affirmation, it's not that long ago. I can go back to my first year in graduate school, which is not all that long ago, where I was given affirmation in a public way in my class. And I remember feeling like I wanted to crawl into a hole. It's not that long ago where I, there's no way I could receive commendation. I remember coming to my supervision group later that week and talking about it, having no insider awareness other than just confessing, why was I so embarrassed when I was called to um, commendation in front of the whole class and uh, that I can be with you today and you offer such deep commendation. And I, as far as I know, fully receive that. That's speaking of miracles. That's amazing. So I would have been one of the ones who would not have been able to know joy, especially when it was directed towards me, a joyful, loving affirmation like, like you share. And so, uh, so grateful that that's like nourishment for me when you say that it's it's and it it doesn't go into inflation for me either it just was like that's just nourishment and then thank god that there's something flowing through that john loves this much to say this about and i fully own being being the the vessel for it, it it's but it's yeah, yeah yeah it's not always the bad things that we have a hard time accepting is it yeah, when you're not used to praise, when you're not used to joy, those things can feel very uncomfortable because they're so yeah. foreign. You know, we yeah. tend to develop an attachment um, to to yeah. what we're comfortable with. And a lot of times that's pain, that's suffering, that's unhappiness, that's all these miserable... Yeah? They, they taught us in grad school, make that an I statement, not a we statement. Okay, well, <laughs> certainly I did. Um, you can make it a we statement. I'm right with you. <laughs> So the only reason I'm saying that because you've been getting so much praise uh, you know, over the last year for your just amazingness and, and your multiple capacity, your heart and your brain and your, your creativity. I mean, that must feel, that must feel wonderful. Well, how does it feel? <laughs> well, it's, um, it, it uh, still feels, it, it does feel wonderful and it still feels uncomfortable sometimes too all i can can do do is continue to keep giving my best and showing up and and doing what i can to to earn it to deserve it um 
I'm, I'm starting to believe it more and more as I hear it. But especially at first, that kind of thing is really uncomfortable. And I think that it's been a process of learning to let go of the attachment to comfort, whether that's, you know, comfort in I don't want to feel any pain or comfort in this, uh, this joy, this praise feels strange, whatever it is, we let go of our attachment to the safe zone and lean into sitting with whatever the unfamiliar experiences, the uncomfortable experiences on either side of the spectrum. And when we do that, when we let go in that way, there's growth. And I think that's the only way we can grow. I'm so glad you joined us, Doug, because John and I, I know this to be the case for me and I know it's the case for you, John, love you from head to toe. Yeah. It's just, you're, you're beloved with us, Doug. Yeah. Yeah, I'm discovering you, Doug, is one of the great accomplishments. Mark. Yeah. <laughs> I'm uh, eternally grateful to, to the both of you, too, for the chance to be here and do this work and connect mm-hmm. with what the still small voice has always told me I was mm-hmm. supposed to do. And, and so many levels. And it's a very healing experience too. You know, in our last podcast with uh, Carlos, we talked about this emotional presence and the right brain to right brain transmission of being with somebody in that flow of emotions and feeling held with acceptance and, and presence. And I absolutely get that with, with both of you in the work Good. we're doing in this podcast and in everything else that we're doing together. So mm-hmm. I hope that... Mm-hmm. I hope for, I, I can't thank you enough for that. And I hope too that people listening to this and the people watching this feel that same transmission of acceptance and, and love from us, the same healing experience as they engage with us. If there's any doubt, if there's any doubt, I have one member of our Journey of Integral Recovery podcast forum on Facebook wrote me to tell me that she blew up that photograph of the three of us lying in bed together with our heads peering over it. She's blown that up and it's in her living room. And so I want you to know that if there's any doubt how much we love each other, you guys, just go to dot, dot, dot. Well, you know, we were staying together in Palo Alto in this house, Airbnb. Photos for the podcast. So I just jumped in bed and I said, "Okay, guys, jump in bed with me." And nobody even hesitated. Everybody said, Whoa. Oh, "Thanks, John." Nobody <laughs> went, like, "No, that's just no, we don't want this to get out." Everybody, man, I'm with the right crowd here. It was really. <laughs> And then all of his feigned yeah. shock and surprise. And all of this. It's such a great photograph. And I just, I love it that it's being blown up and looked at as, as representative of the three musketeers. There you have it. For all of this, you guys, it was initially the suffering that brought us together. Well, cool. We have so many other things to explore. Uh, it, the integral recovery is infinite. You know, it just never, never stops. Uh, the more we go, the more there is. So anyway, it's been it's been wonderful, you guys. Thank you so much, and we love you guys. Thank you out there, the listening, that are dialing in, that are working on your uh, on, on staying sober, working on becoming the person that you need to be right now in the universe as we are here now. And uh, as you said, uh, it's here and it's coming. You know. Yeah. So um, thank you so much, and please you know, contact us and 
and uh, connect with us. Join us on Facebook. Anything that we need to put out about that? Uh, no, um, we the the Facebook group is a private group, but you can find the link to it on our uh, Integral Recovery website, integralrecoveryinstitute.com/community, and just click the link there. Request to join, and we'll get you approved uh, as quickly as we can. Usually within a day. And our group has doubled. Our group has doubled, or virtually so, in the last just two or three months. And I'm really encouraged by that. Really, uh, I love to see the growth happening there. That's awesome. And uh, with I Awake in the last, I don't know, last few months, we've produced some of the best stuff that we've ever produced. Mm-hmm. So uh, starting mm-hmm. with Feeling Flow, which is mm-hmm. incredible. Mm-hmm. Deeply Theta, which is amazing. And Lish um, Gusta. And then uh, Nadia Len, we just released it the other day called Strong Medicine. I mean, yeah. Yeah, if you need heavy lifting in your meditation, go do this. Yeah. And then, last but not least, we are currently beta testing. Uh, well, what are we calling the... Uh, the freedom of forgiveness. The Yeah. <laughs> it's a track that's used, <laughs> that you created the, the entrainment, the music to, uh, Doug. And Bob, you did just freelance the... Uh, the, the guidance and it's really amazing uh, thank you john thank you thank you the music is is worth the price of admission the music is incredible that that you've created doug and i'm hoping that the the narrative will will, will provide um, resource yeah for sure it's really a powerful package and i john i loved your response to it i really speaking of affirmation feel really affirmed by that and uh look forward to that it's going to be released in the next month i think maybe in december is that kind yeah, of the goal for christmas Oh, that's awesome. That's yeah, awesome. I know what I'm giving people for Christmas. Right. And in, in the immortal words of Ken Wilber, if you think you're enlightened, go home for the holidays. <laughs> oh, boy. You need the track for holidays. <laughs> oh, oh, here's one for you. You know why it's being released for Christmas? Forgiving. <laughs> ah, very good. Very good. <laughs> we better stop. We better stop. Yeah. <laughs> hey, God bless you guys. Love all right. you all. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Journey of Integral Recovery podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by iAwake Technologies. Visit IntegralRecoveryInstitute.com slash iAwake for the best meditation tracks to support your daily recovery practice. If you enjoyed today's episode, visit us on iTunes and hit subscribe for a new episode every Friday. While you're there, you can help others share the journey and the joy of integral recovery by leaving your five-star rating and a quick review. We're grateful for your support, and we'll see you next time on the Journey of Integral Recovery podcast.